We'll be starting in verse 12 of chapter 1 and reading through the end of the chapter. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you that can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Would you pray with me this morning as we begin? Father of lights, creator of heaven and earth, we're grateful to you this morning for your instructive and life-changing word. Pray this morning that this church would have ears to hear what you have to say. Lord, there are so many other things in our lives that, that muddy the waters in our relationship with you. So many other things that we seem to be drawn to. In this life, things that, if truth be told, are real idols in our lives, things that come alongside or substitute and take the place of you. Father, I pray that you would challenge us this morning through your word to turn from these idols and turn to the living God. Convict us this day of all the things that may obstruct the path of walking with you. Guide us. In the path of righteousness. Clear the way that we might hear and receive with meekness this implanted word. Father, I pray that you would allow us to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying this morning. And Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who laid aside his rights and privileges and became obedient to death on a cross for our sake. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone here ever had that moment when you 
walk into the bathroom in your house and you turn the, the water faucet on and the water starts to pile up in the sink. The, the stopper is up and the water is supposed to go down, but yet there's still a pile of water that happens. Or maybe it's in the bathtub, right? And you're getting ready to turn the shower on. And before you even can get in to think about getting in the shower, you notice that there's just a, a lot of water that's there. It's not, the water's not going down the drain properly. Anybody else? There's been times, it doesn't happen all the time, but there are times when you see the clog enter into the picture. This is called a zippet. Have you ever seen a zippet? <laughs> it's got these real sharp edges to it, and it comes in handy for times like the ones I just described. You stick it down into the, to the drain, stick it down there as far as it'll go, and you pull it back out, sometimes stubbornly pull it back out. And you see oftentimes a, a collection of hair and gunk. and I just call it gunk. I mean, that's what it is. It's just gunk. Stuff. Stick it down there again and pull some more out. Stick it down there again, you get some more. Once you have inserted that stick a few times and you've removed the obstruction from the drain, you turn the water back on, problem is gone. No more standing water. But now there is a clear pathway that has been established for the water to go down the drain, to do what it's supposed to do. The problem is not the water, but the objects that have collected in the drain that are keeping the water from advancing to where it needs to go. You know, in the Bible, there's a, there's a man named John. John chapter 1. He came as a witness to bear witness. To the light. He was not the light, the Bible says. But he lived to make the light of Jesus known. And wherever John went, he, he preached about the one to come. About the one whose sandals he was unworthy to stoop down and untie. And you see, as a means of clearing the way for Jesus, John is sent as the forerunner to Christ. The voice, in fact, of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Did you realize that the sin that so easily ensnares you can be traced back to the first few chapters of Genesis? Through one man, Romans 5.12 says, Through one man sin entered the world and death followed and spread to all men because all sinned. Before the sin in the garden, man had a wonderful fellowship with the Lord. Everything was going great. And then sin entered and began a work in man that to this day is still clogging up the relationship channel between man and God. Praise be to God, though, that he brought forth his son at just the right time. Emmanuel, God with us, came down from the heavenlies and he tabernacled among us for a time. He came to give life 
And this life he had to offer would come by way of his death on the cross. His sacrificial death on the cross opened up the way for man to enter into the holy of holies. You see, before the cross, man was represented by the high priest once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. You might remember the goats. The goat, remember the hand, the high priest laid, laid his hand on that goat, that scapegoat who then took off and took the sins of the people out of the camp. Jesus, though, was that perfect lamb of God who made it possible for man to be reconciled to God. God, through his son, cleared the way to make it possible for man to have everlasting life, a life to be lived out in the present and a hope to hold on to for the time yet to come. God has made a way. I was thinking about that song, God will make a way, where there seems to be, he has already made the way, church. He's made it possible. He's cleared the way for you and me. You know, as we continue to study the book of James, that's the starting, that's the starting point, I believe, for understanding today's text. God has cleared the way, making it possible for you to have a genuine, vibrant, life-giving, growing relationship. By means of the power of the Holy Spirit through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, before looking at verse 19, I want to draw your attention to verse 18. This is where we left off last week. But we can't just go to 19 without bringing 18 in here. It's important. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we may may be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Remember, James writing to his scattered flock abroad, and he's reminding the church that it's God who brought them forth. God is the one who enabled you to cross over from death to life. God is the one who began that good work in you of regenerating you. God is the one who begot you again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God, by his own will, no one forced his hand in this. By his own will, he brought you forth. And how did he do so? By the word of truth. You were drawn to the father of lights by the word of truth. Remember that as you read through this text, as you study this text, remember that. It's very important that you remember that. God has the power to save, Romans 1.16 And we see that in this gospel, this gospel contains something very important. Contains the righteousness of God. That's also very important in light of our text today. Genuine conversion, church, comes by way of hearing the word, does it not? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes these words in verse 13. He says, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you, church at Thessalonica, when you receive the word of God which you heard from us. You welcomed it, not as from the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Listen to that. This word effectively works in you who believe. Church, we have a great reminder, I believe, set before us today. God, by his own will, brought us forth. He birthed us and he rebirthed us again into this living hope by means of the word of truth. Do you welcome this word as it is in truth? Do you welcome this word as the word of God? 
verse 18 concludes with a purpose statement for bringing us forth by his word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The first fruits represented an initial harvest pointing to a greater harvest yet to come. The first fruits were also offered to the Lord as, listen to this, offered as holy. And it's right here I'd like to draw your attention to. As an expression of God's good and perfect gift. He's brought you forth by his own will and that by the word of truth for the purpose that you might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. His desire is that you would represent him well as an ambassador here on earth, shining forth his light in the midst of darkness, pursuing what kind of living, church? Holy living. Holy living. Not only because he says, be holy, for I am holy. That's a good enough reason to do it, by the way. But also because by his own will, he brought us forth by his word of truth. In other words, there's an expectation set before you now. If you are a child of the king, you are now under obligation to walk as Christ himself walked. Holy living is not an option for the believer. There's not some other level of believer that just lives in a holy way. That's not what the Bible teaches. As one of his children, I believe there's some questions for us to consider here. How much do I resemble the one who died for me and gave himself for me? In light of all that he's done to make possible my salvation, would anyone know how grateful I am by the way that I live my life? If holiness is expected of me, am I continually Hearing what God has to say through his word of truth, or is the channel clogged by means of worldly trinkets, things, stuff? I want you to hold on to those questions as we go into 19 and 20. It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So then, that's New King James. King James says, wherefore? NASB, I think, says, know this. NIV says, take note of this. Verse 19 is one of those verses that's loaded with practical implications for our lives, right? I mean, we can just carry that verse, verse 19, around, and that can be so helpful in and of itself if we just carry verse 19 around with us. But it's even better when we understand it in the context in which it sits. Properly understood in context. It comes as a follow-up to 17 and 18. Meaning what? Since there is no variation or shadow of turning with God, the one who gives good and perfect gifts, since he has brought us forth by his own will, by the word of truth, for the purpose of being a kind of first fruits as his creatures, since he has orchestrated all of these things and made all of this possible, so then, or know this, Or take note of this. What are we to take note of? Let every man be swift to hear. Now I want you to notice something here in verse 19. It's really a universal command. Let every man. It's also a contrasting command. We see, 
Let every man be swift to do something. And let every man be slow to do something. But there are also multiple commands. Swift to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Emotion expressed oftentimes in our actions, in our words, which are rooted where? Right here. So what is James saying when he says, let every man be swift to hear? Swift to hear what? Did you ever think about that? Be swift to hear. Be swift to hear what? Is there something we ought to be swift to hear? In the context, what do we need to be swift to hear? Asking questions of the text is helpful. What is it that Pastor James here, as he's giving this word to the scattered flock... What would he want his scattered flock to hear as they find themselves navigating through trials? What would be most helpful to pay heed to? What does verse 18 say in regard to the means of being brought forth by God? You were brought forth by the word of truth. So if you were brought forth by the word of truth, what might James be driving at here in the text? Be swift to hear. Listen, this is important. Be swift to hear on an ongoing basis, the same word of truth by which you were brought forth. In other words, be swift to hear what God has to say about your situation. Turn to his word of truth for direction, for guidance, for discernment. Make your days a continual feasting on his word of truth. Hold fast to this word of truth when you find yourself being tempted. This is the context. What does God have to say about this? What does his word counsel me to do? Church, if you are in Christ, you were brought forth by this word of truth. Why then would you live your days apart from this word of truth? Why, after starting with this word, being changed by this word, being transformed by this word, why would you think it okay now to live your days any old way you'd like to live? Or to put it in James's language, why would you be content living your days by your own desires? Be swift to hear what God has to say. This is the first command, and rightly so. The second command is complementary to the first. Slow to speak. How often has your tongue gotten you into trouble? None of you? Oh, just a couple of you. Okay. We'll get to James 3. And we'll see the, the fire that's found in that small instrument in our mouth, the tongue. The word here is be slow to speak. You know, even as you think back in this past week, was there a time when your hasty speech produced ungodly results? Oftentimes those go hand in hand. If you're swift to hear what God has to say, you will exercise slowness of speaking. Notice James does not say be absent of speaking. He's not advocating silence here. Be slow to speak. Church, one of the best ways 
to exercise slowness of speaking is to habitually be swift to hear what God has to say in his word of truth. Proverbs 15.33 says that the heart of the righteous studies how to answer. The mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. See, when you turn from wisdom, this wisdom that's available to you in the word of truth, you're choosing, according to the Proverbs, you're choosing to hate knowledge and turn from the fear of the Lord. What's the result of that? Proverbs 131 says, Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own fancies. Jeremiah the prophet says it this way in Jeremiah 7, 22 through 24. He says, For I I did not speak to your fathers concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices, but this is what I commanded them. God speaking here. This is what I commanded them. Obey my voice and I'll be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I've commanded you that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear. In other words, they were not swift to hear. But followed the counsels and dictates of their evil hearts. They followed what? Their own desires. And I love the way Jeremiah summarizes it. They went backward and not forward. They went backward, not forward. Church, God gave you two ears. All right. Everybody, all, especially all you little ones, come on, this is the time to interact and engage. Put your, put your hands on your ears for just a moment, okay? Okay? Little ones, find your ears, okay? You got your ears, okay? All right, now little ones, this is just for the little ones. How many ears do you have? Somebody tell me. Two. Excellent, you have two. Now, put your hand over your lips, your mouth, Okay? Help me out, little ones. How many mouths did the Lord give you? One. Very good, Timothy. One. Two ears, one mouth. Might there be anything instructive in that alone? Two ears, one mouth. Two to hear, one to speak. Be swift to hear the word of truth so that you can know what you need to speak. Amen? Pretty good principle. Deuteronomy chapter 6 begins with what? Hear. Shema. Hear, O Israel. Proverbs 4 verse 1. And you could just I read through the whole Proverbs this week, and it was such a delight. And we could do a whole big study on the book of Proverbs and what we're talking about. But time and again, you hear, you hear, hear my children, hear my son, hear my son. Proverbs 4, verse 1, hear my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. Jesus himself said, take heed how you what? Hear. Proverbs 8, 32. And the verses following, now therefore listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. That's wisdom. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. 
Proverbs 10, 19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. He who is slow to speak. Just think about it. From a practical standpoint, the more words you speak, the more you're prone to sin with your tongue. Proverbs 10, 20 says, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. Now, why speak of the tongue of, righteous, of the righteous here? I believe the third command we have, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Okay, that's connected to our tongue, I believe. Let every man be slow to wrath. Slow to wrath comes after slow to speak. Have you ever found yourself getting angry as you pile up words together? You know, Sometimes this comes in the context of a conversation. Starts out as a conversation. There's maybe a disagreement. And maybe you're going off that other person's hostility. You see the boiling happening on the other end. And instead of you doing and applying Proverbs 15.1, right? A soft answer turns away wrath. You put more wood on the fire, as the Proverbs say. See, any old fool can continue. An argument. The wise man knows not to speak. Stops the argument. Slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. Anger is oftentimes expressed through the lips, isn't it? You see it on the countenance, but it comes out through the mouth. And before... Anyone here is quick to pull the righteous anger card to justify one's anger. Let me say that the majority of times man's anger is not rooted in a righteous cause. The majority of times. But instead it flows out of a prideful heart, a selfish heart, and a desire to control the situation. Your anger comes about because someone has done something toward you. Someone has wronged you or made you look bad, perhaps. You know, yesterday I was working and I told my wife about this last night. If there was ever a game, I was working in the afternoon yesterday. And by far, the worst fans I've ever had at a game. And there were a lot of them. It didn't really matter where I was at on the court. They were everywhere. And they were just bad. Saying things about you as an official. Saying things that really didn't make sense. Saying things that truth be told in my flesh, I wanted to stop and turn around and say something. I wanted to help instruct them in the game. I wanted to pull out another whistle and give it to them. I wanted to ask them, have you ever officiated the game of basketball? Do you know anything about the rules? See, had I done that? First of all, I'm not supposed to be doing that. But secondly, what does that do to my witness and my testimony? 
You see, there are times in your life when you, in the flesh, lash out at someone. And if we just practice, church, this principle that James has given to us here. Swift to hear. Hear what? Hear the word. The righteous studies how to answer. He takes the word in and knows how to answer. Slow to speak. Slow then to wrath. Proverbs 14, 29 says, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A wrathful man stirs up strife. A wrathful man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger allays contention. Proverbs 16, 32, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You see, the anger of man is contrasted with the self-control. In Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a furious man abounds, abounds in transgression. Angry words, church, tell you something about the status of your heart. Angry words tell that other person in your household something about your heart. We talk a lot in our home. Angry words come out of an angry heart. Something not right in your heart. In fact, we can look at the word and we see in Ephesians chapter 4. You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him. If you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Keep reading. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Why? I believe verse 27 is a helpful connector to that. Nor give place, nor give foothold to the devil. You see, when you are operating out of wrath and anger, you are giving the evil one a foothold in your life. How is it that you can go to bed at night with the root of anger and wrath still boiling in your heart? Do not let your anger remain. Don't let the sun go down on it. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Look at, look at the list in 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 
Turn over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Put off all these. Anger, wrath, there they are again. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. See, James tacks on an assertion here in verse 20 of James chapter 1 regarding anger. He doesn't just say, be slow to wrath. He says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Think about this. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. On the surface, that makes sense. Those of you that do some math, You're working a math problem. And I know my oldest son is not too far removed from this challenge that was before him. This whole idea of an order of operations. There's an order to do the operations. You've got subtraction and addition and multiplication and division. There's an order of doing it. When you add exponential and parentheses and and all these different things that get put into the equation. There's an order to the operations. You might actually add 2 plus 10, and you think, I got 12. You might multiply 4 times 4, and you might get 16. But if you do them in the wrong order, you're not going to arrive at the right answer. Imagine, let's give a baking example. You're going to bake a carrot cake. And you're going to bake a carrot cake. And you decide, you know what? I don't have any carrots here, so I'm going to just bake a carrot cake. But I, I got stalks of celery. I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just put some celery in there, and, and I'll use all the other ingredients that's called for. I'll just insert celery. They're both vegetables. I still might be able to come out okay. A carrot, listen, a carrot cake without carrots... It's not a carrot cake. Huh? Is that, that's probably one of the most profound things that's going to be said this morning right there. <laughs> no matter how closely you follow those other ingredients, you'll never produce a carrot cake from a stalk of celery. James is saying, listen, he's saying, the righteousness of God is characterized in a particular manner. The wrath of man does not lead to the righteousness of God. Doesn't fit. Not on the same table. God requires his people to exercise righteous living. 1 John 2.29 says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Righteous living is distinctive. It stands in sharp contrast to the ways of the world. And see, in James 3, he's going to speak about the tongue a little bit more. And there he's going to talk about words that come out of your mouth. He says, Can we with the same mouth bless God and curse men? Can we out of the same mouth speak blessing and cursing? And he says, my brethren, these things ought not be so. Why? Because they do not contribute to the exercising of God's righteousness in one's life. Proverbs 10, 21 says that the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. 
Proverbs 10.31 says the mouth of the righteous. See, there's a pattern here. The lips of the He's speaking about the one who is righteous. The lips of the righteous. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. But the perverse tongue will be cut out. Or Proverbs 10.32. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. But the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5.19-21. He talks about that list, the works of the flesh. You remember that? Well, do you know what's in that list? There's this thing called outbursts of anger. Made the list. The works of the flesh. Made the list. You know what Paul says about that list in 5, 19 to 21? He says that those works of the flesh are evidence. You can see them. So tell me. If... If the works of the flesh are evident, should not the works of the Spirit also be evident? Do you think Paul is saying that, oh, these are evident, but the works of the Spirit, you just need to lay low on those? No! (laughs) No! The wrath of man contributes nothing to the righteousness of God in one's life. It sends, in fact, a blurred message... For an outburst of anger, which is included in that list, is not in alignment with the works of the Spirit, but the works of the flesh. This is where your profession and your operations collide. What I hold to, how I'm operating. What does your life say about your profession of faith? Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, Slow to wrath. Since man's wrath doesn't produce the righteousness of God required in the life of a believer. Where does James go with this? Look at verse 21. He says, therefore, lay aside or put off all filthiness and overthrow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I want you to notice the connector words in the text for today. Verse 19, so then. Verse 20, for. It's connected to what verse 19 ended And then we have here in verse 21, therefore, I want you to see that the text sits in a context. Words share relationships with one another. They're tied together. When you end verse 20, you might be inclined to ask, well, if the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, what qualifies? Tell me, James, what does produce the righteousness of God in my life? There are two imperatives that follow the conjunction. Therefore, let's take them in order. First one is lay aside. Lay aside. Therefore, lay aside. That word lay aside generally has in mind taking off. A set of clothes, perhaps. It's something that you would take off. And we read earlier in, in both Ephesians and Colossians the idea of putting off. It's widely applied in the New Testament. To the, that putting off of the old pre-Christian pattern of behavior. Okay? What is it then the text calls us to lay aside? What's the believer to lay aside? Two things. All filthiness. All filthiness. This is the only, in this noun form, the only time it's used right here in the text. In its adjective form, it's used two other times. And we see it in James chapter 2, verse 2. Used there in the adjective form. Talking about this poor man who comes into the assembly in Filthy clothes, vile, filthy. 
It's also used in Zechariah the prophet, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, talking about Joshua the high priest. You might remember Satan's there. And Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And he answered the angel and spoke to those who were, stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. He removed the filthy garments and gave him a new set of clothes. So the first thing we're to do is to lay aside, lay aside all filthiness. But what else? text says overflow of wickedness, overflow or surplus, abundance of wickedness. In the NIV, I believe it's, it reads the evil that is so prevalent, which emphasizes the, the variety and the prevalence of the sin that Christians have to fight against. You know, as I was reading this, the thought occurred to me what James is really calling the believer to lay aside. The fact, listen, the fact that James addresses what he does in verse 21, says something in itself about the state of the believers he's addressing. But it most certainly says something about the believer even today. Why is it that James calls the church to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness? See, the imperative is given, I believe, implying that such things were happening among the brethren. There had been perhaps some clogs in the drain in their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They'd been participating in some other things, some deeds of darkness, perhaps. Where is the place for filthiness and abundance of wickedness in the life of the believer, church? Is there a place for that? The believer is called to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Question, is that a one-time imperative? How often does that imperative need to be exercised? Daily. Put it off. Have nothing to do with filthiness and overflow of wickedness. You are children of light. Be who you are in Christ. Lay aside. What's the second imperative? Receive. One writer said the putting off or laying aside is to be accompanied by receiving something else. What is that? The implanted word. Two commands are given. Both are to be exercised regularly in the life of the believer. Lay aside and receive. Or we could say from elsewhere in the scripture, flee and pursue. Or we could say, put off and put on. What does the text say the believer is to receive? The implanted word. What is the implanted word? That sounds like an odd statement, doesn't it? The implanted word. You know, if something's implanted, you oftentimes think about it. It's, it's taken root, deep, deep roots. It's taken root in you. Is James advocating then? This is a question. Again, you're thinking of the text. You're asking questions of the text. Is James advocating this word is innate? It's something that you're born with? I don't believe so. 
The text goes on to say that this implanted word is able to save your souls. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But in verse 18, God brought you forth. Remember, that's why context is so important here. God brought you forth by his own will, by means of what? The word of the truth. The word of truth. So what exactly is this implanted word? I want you to think context. James is a pastor. He's instructing his flock in the truths of the gospel. The imperative to receive the implanted word is to receive the truths proclaimed from the preached word. Though they are scattered, the word of truth in them, implanted in them through the preaching of the word. This word of truth would prove helpful, would it not, to a group of scattered believers? Church, the application here, I believe, is significant. You have opportunities to hear the preached word each Sunday here at Hope in Christ. And to store up within you his implanted word. If there should come a day when you encounter a trial or you encounter difficulties in your life, will the implanted word serve as your well of refreshment and hope? There's also a sad reality on the other side of the application. You have opportunities to hear the preached word, and yet you never truly receive it. You never truly accept it as the word of God. You hear it, but you don't accept it as truth in your life. And if that's you, you are simply attending a church building each week. You are punching the clock. You are participating in nothing more than a religious exercise. writer says what James is suggesting by describing the word in this way is that the Christian this is so good this is so important that the Christian must not think he has done with the word of God after it has saved him that word becomes a permanent inseparable part of the Christian a commanding and guiding presence within him The command to receive the implanted word then is not a command to be converted. Elsewhere, when you see receive the word, that can have in mind to be converted. It has that context elsewhere in scripture. But here, it's to accept its precepts as binding and then to seek to live by them. How do we receive and accept this implanted word? James says, with meekness, or some translations have, with humility. It's interesting to me, looking at the context, we see the text pitting man's wrath with man's meekness or humility. One does not produce the righteousness of God, the other does. Writers say, Christians who have truly been born again, verse 18... They demonstrate the word has transformed them by their humble acceptance of that word as their authority and guide for life. In fact, receiving the implanted word with meekness and humility, it opens up the believer to the reality of this life-giving implanted word, which is able to save your souls. In what way is the implanted word able to save your souls? You know, that word save can point to, no doubt, the act of salvation whereby one crosses over from death to life. That rebirth idea, the regeneration idea, the new creation idea in the scripture. 
No doubt the preached word has the power to save in that way. But here, the idea to save implies not merely the salvation of the soul, but the restoration of life. So to save then in this context means to make a person whole or complete in every respect. And that, church, is what the word of God is able to do in the life of a believer. James is giving us some rich instruction. One writer said that the main preoccupation of a Christian should be to save his soul. <laughs> this, is put forward, this is put forward as an argument for listening to the word. It will save your souls. Usually, he writes, our greatest concern is to gratify the body. In short, your greatest fear should be for the soul and your greatest concern should be for the soul. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? It is only a sorry exchange to give the eternal welfare of the soul for a temporary reward for the world. Oh, that we were wise enough to consider these things that we would make it our business to provide for the soul, to clothe the soul for another world that we would wait on God in the word. Church, there are, there are many things, are there not? Many things that can clog the pipes of your relationship with God the Father. Truth be told, many are slow to hear God's word of truth. Many are swift to speak out of their own resources. Many then are also quick-tempered, easily agitated, wrathful, people who stir up strife remember whose you are verse 18 of his own will he brought you forth how by the word of truth since this word of truth is the means by which you were reborn and placed into the family of God the believer is called to be swift to hear to be swift to have an ear inclined to the word of truth be swift not only to hear this word, but to receive it, to accept it as it is given, as the word of God. You know, James isn't finished yet. He'll add something to all this starting in verse 22 when he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. The call next week is going to add another layer to the one he's already built in verses 19 through 21. You see, part of the challenge for the believer... Part of the challenge for the believer is arriving at the point of hearing and receiving the word. Truly hearing what God has to say and receiving this implanted word, this preached word with meekness. Understanding that it is able to save your soul, to complete you, to present you mature, to provide you with real tangible help. Real tangible help that's going to help you in your business meeting tomorrow. Real tangible help that's going to help you, young person, in, in coordinating that group project that you got to do. Real tangible help... Ladies, in helping fix a meal. He's going to provide you help in all of your everyday events. That's what he does. That's what this word does. When you lose a loved one, this word of truth helps. When you are helping someone else go through a tough time, this word of truth helps. When you know how to handle a conflict situation, you're in the midst of one and Boy, it sure helps having the word of truth. 
when you need some wisdom, when you need some direction, when you need some guidance for your days, boy, this word of truth really helps. The word is living and active. It will help cleanse your way. It will point you in the path of righteousness and guide you in the way of Christ. I pull this zip it stick out here and it does some wonderful things to alleviate the problem. Very minor problem in our lives. But let me ask you a question. If you were to use this zip it stick to the drain pipe of your own life. What might be dredged up? What's down there that needs to be removed in your life? Any filthiness? Abundance of wickedness needs to be removed? Will you lay it aside? And receive with humility, with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your soul and provide the abundant life Christ came to offer you. Proverbs 12, 28 says, in the way of righteousness is life. And in its pathway is no death. Be diligent to purify yourself just as he is pure. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Be diligent to be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful to the master. Be diligent to guard your heart, for it's the control center of your life. Be diligent to grow in your faith, making your call and election sure. Be diligent to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be diligent, church, to maintain a clear pathway. in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you do this by turning your ear to the word, being slow to speak, slow to wrath, laying aside the filthiness and receiving with meekness the implanted word. Hear and receive the word into your life. Accept it as one of God's good and perfect gifts given to you and be ready to walk in its truth, to do what it says. That, in fact, is the word for next week. Hearing and receiving the word leads to doing the word. So on that note, we'll be continued next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us forth by your word of truth. That we we might be a kind of first fruits of your creatures. Father, in light of all that you've done for us, may we then operate here in a way that represents who we are. The words that we speak, the actions we take, the things we think about, the motivations that we have. All of these things are to be done in accordance to that of a believer, a follower of Christ. All of these things are to be done and carried out in such a way that we remember whose we are.
May we never forget that. Father, I pray this word that is preached, this word of truth, Father, I pray that you allow us to hear these words. And Father, where there are clogs in our drains, the drains of our life, pray that you would have access to do the work that you need to do to unclog the things that need to be unclogged so that your grace may flow freely in our lives. Your word says that you give grace to the humble. Father, that's the very thing called for in this text, to receive this word with humility. May we do just that. Father, may we walk in your truth. Those things that get in the way, those obstacles that are getting in the way of hearing your word and receiving your word, accepting your word as the word of God, as it is in truth. Father, it's so important in the day in which we live that we acknowledge, receive, accept this word as your word. Father, that we would delight in living this word out. Help us to this end, we pray. I pray we would encourage one another in the body to do this as well. Oh, what a joy it would be to have a body all inclining to hear this word of truth. May it be so, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.